More than a third of U.S. women have been the victims of contact sexual violence at some time in their lives, and the rates of adverse childhood experiences are similarly high. Interactions with the healthcare system, which should be opportunities for support and healing, can often be re-traumatizing for survivors. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Eve Rittenberg, a primary care physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital's Fish Center for Women's Health. Dr. Rittenberg has written a perspective article about providing trauma-informed care. Dr. Rittenberg, your article was published online shortly after the Kavanaugh hearings, which you write were a source of dread for many of your patients. What have you noticed in the weeks since the hearings and Judge Kavanaugh's confirmation? Are patients still bringing up those events and feeling their effects? I think that the Kavanaugh hearings were very triggering for patients who were survivors of sexual assault or other trauma. The news has sort of faded away from the 24-7 barrage of images on the television, on our videos, on our phones. The hearings in particular have not come up so much, but the broader themes of traumatic experiences and the effects of that trauma on people's health and well-being continues to come up. I'll tell you a story of a patient I saw yesterday who has a history of childhood physical, emotional, and sexual abuse and later sexual assault, who came in to see me for worsening of some of her chronic pain syndrome, so fibromyalgia, interstitial cystitis. And we were able to talk about how her understanding of her trauma and the ongoing stresses in her lives affects her current well-being and her current symptoms. And then we could work together to figure out a plan for how to manage it. So she said to me the anniversary of one of the times that she was assaulted was coming up and she didn't think she could go see her specialist for her interstitial cystitis. So that gynecologic exam would be too painful for her right now. And so she asked me if I would help her prescribe her medicine until she was able to sort of pull herself up to a point where she could go to see the specialist. And so we talked together about that. We talked about what her needs were and what I thought was important. And then we made a plan together to help her so that she could manage her symptoms with the understanding of what was going on. So I think that kind of conversation happens, at least when I interact with patients, it happens often as people are able to reflect on how their experiences in their lives have impacted their current health. In your article, you talk about your work educating healthcare providers and staff about trauma-informed care. So you've begun to describe it in that story you just told, but what does trauma-informed care look like in the exam room? How do you build those interactions with the patient? So I want to say a couple of things, which are that trauma-informed care happens both at that level of individual interactions, you know, happens in the exam room, but also does require some organizational change. So at the level of the patient interaction, it's really a fundamental shift in philosophy. So how do we go from asking this, what's wrong with you? to a patient, why are you smoking? Why won't you take the medications that I prescribe for you? Why are you binge eating? And shift that to, so how has what happened in your life affected your health? So that you can start to understand a little bit about people's lives and form a collaborative partnership with them. And so what I see that in the exam room is really shifting the power dynamics that are there. So trying to make it a little bit more level, letting patients have more choice, more voice in their care, starting to talk about what patients need and want, 
and have that be an important part of the interaction. Talking to people about what we're going to do before we do it. So for a lot of people who have survived trauma, it's really hard to come into a doctor's visit. You're coming in, often people are left to wait by themselves in a small room, not knowing when the doctor's going to come in. That can be very difficult for people. You're asking people to get undressed, to undergo potentially invasive procedures, so things that we think of as really routine, but a patient might not. So we don't really think about taking someone's blood pressure or examining someone's abdomen or giving someone a vaccine, but all of those can be experiences very triggering for people who've had significant traumatic experiences. So starting to have more of a conversation and sort of mutual partnership with patients, I think is the fundamental basis of trauma-informed care. You mentioned the organizational level. So at the level of physician practices and health systems, what can be done to improve care for people who've experienced trauma? There's been actually quite a bit of thought put into this. There's not a consensus on what makes an organization trauma-informed, but there is a sense of the general components of a trauma-informed organization. So a collaborative out in Missouri put together a model called the Missouri Developmental Model of Trauma-Informed Care. And starting with an organization that just starts to ask the question of how prevalent is trauma in the populations that we take care of, how does that trauma affect their health, and sort of moving up through stages to one in which the organization understands the impact of trauma and has systems in place both to provide kind of universal trauma-informed care and also trauma-specific resources for treating patients who disclose trauma. The component that I think we need to think about in addition to just training individuals, so both clinicians and front desk staff, for example, or nurses who are on the phones, but is how do we then support our staff as well? So it can be very emotionally difficult to take care of patients who are suffering. In medicine, that's what we do often. And So taking care of patients who are suffering or who disclose their stories of trauma can take a toll on providers as well and be a part of compassion fatigue and burnout. And so putting into place systems for peer support of each other. So how do we have opportunities for clinicians to meet and talk about the cases that they're struggling with? How do we make sure that there are resources for staff and providers who are going through difficult experiences in their own lives to get them the support they need to be able to take care of patients? So I think organizationally, it's both having the providers and staff be trained in this model, but also offering the support that providers and staff need so that they can be healthy as well. Is there evidence that trauma-informed care improves outcomes for patients? How can a clinician or an organization know that it's doing the right thing, that it's having a desired effect? That's a complicated question. There is a wealth of data on the prevalence of trauma and on the impact of trauma on health. There is Like I said, there are starting to be some models to think about what trauma-informed care looks like, but the data that exists on the impact of trauma-informed care on outcomes, both for patients and for providers, is in its very early stages in general medicine. So there's some evidence from behavioral health where this model has been much more accepted for quite some time. So 
trauma-informed interventions in psychiatric units has benefits for reducing seclusion and restraints for improving some mental health outcomes. So we have some data from that field. We do not have a lot of data in general medicine. And what we are looking for, so I'm part of a group here at Partners that's starting to think about how do we measure the extent to which an organization or practices trauma-informed care, and then starting to look at those questions of how do we measure the impact on outcomes. What we are looking for really are outcomes both in patient engagement. So does trauma-informed care help people engage better with the system? Does it decrease no-show rates to appointments? Does it shift people from emergency department utilization to primary care or behavioral health? And then, of course, the ultimate goal of does that actually end up reducing costs as well as improving outcomes in disease markers? So does it improve diabetic care? Does it improve markers for chronic pain? Are there actual improvements in patient outcome that we can measure? We are really in the very beginning stages of that process. Finally, in a related perspective article, Novik writes that doctor-patient interactions are increasingly scripted. There are click boxes, there are questionnaires that dictate the order and the content of the interactions between the doctor and the patient. How do you find time to encourage dialogue and to connect with patients at the level that you're talking about under those circumstances? I think that's really important. We are in an environment that has us much more sitting in front of computers, that has the screening for domestic violence, for example, it's a series of clicks on the computer that, in its worst case, is asked by someone staring at the computer and not really looking at the person. And that is sort of the opposite of trauma-informed care, I would say. The question that often comes up when I am talking with other physicians or doing trainings is exactly what you ask. So with all of these other requirements, with the fast pace of medicine, if I start asking these questions, if I ask people, for example, how have there been experiences in your life that you feel have impacted your health? When I ask that kind of open-ended question, I'm worried that I'm just going to get this flood of response and I'm never going to be able to end the visit. And then I'm going to be late for everybody else. How can I do that? And I think the answer to that is both that it's helpful to know that you don't need to get all of the details of everything that's ever happened to a patient. So you don't need to know what happened and how many times it happened to them and where it happened to them. That's not the kind of question that is therapeutic and it's not necessary. And instead, if you can frame the question to patients as, I hear that you've had these very difficult experiences. How do you think that has impacted your health now? How do you feel? Is that affecting your ability to sleep? Is that affecting your ability to make healthy choices in this way? Do you think that that's part of why you're having headaches? That shifting it that way is very helpful in containing the conversation to one that the patient finds useful and that you can actually get through to a place that is helpful for a patient in a short amount of time. Knowing that you can then also make appropriate referrals. So you can say to a person, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I have a really wonderful social worker that I work with who might be able to help you talk through some of that. Would it be okay for me to connect you with her? Having that set of strategies for talking to people and having the right referrals can make this very doable. Thank you, Dr. Rittenberg.